Welcome to the Survey Hub podcast. I'm Marion Ellis. This is a rough and ready bonus episode today where I have a chat with Richard Ballam and Jonathan Milner, who are the residential seats in the UK and Ireland RICS Governing Council elections. We recorded it as a an impromptu webinar last night and it was meant to be live streamed into the Facebook group but I, I couldn't work the buttons so it didn't happen but it was such a, a useful conversation I think for, for residential surveyors I thought it would be good to take the audio and see if I can put it out as a podcast so have a listen I'll add some bits and pieces in the show notes and let me know what you think thanks So hello, um, Jonathan and Richard, and apologies for everybody, everybody watching on replay, because um, I was supposed to live stream this into the Facebook group, and obviously I can't get the setting to work, um, me and my tech, but there we go. So we've got it recorded, and we'll upload it, and you can all watch it afterwards, and I'm sure Richard and Jonathan will be happy to answer any questions that mm-hmm. uh, that come up uh, afterwards. So, firstly, thank you for for coming on. Um, it's uh, late later in the evening than uh, uh, than we were meant to get started, um, and I appreciate you you taking your time. I thought it would be really useful and insightful to have a chat with you, so that people can get to know a bit more about you, because not everybody does. I know you in uh, both in in different ways over many years. Um, and also just to share, you know, a few of your thoughts, some of the concerns I know you, you know, surveyors have um, and an opportunity to, to have a little bit more of a, a voice, I suppose. So as we record this, it's uh, Monday night. We've got the Governing Council elections, which close. Is it on Friday or is it Monday? End of the week, isn't it? 20, 24th at noon. Yeah, yeah. So 24th at noon. Yeah, Monday. Yeah. Okay. Down there. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So let's do a couple of intros. Let's start with you, Jonathan. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what, what flavour of surveyor you are. Um, so I'm residential survey evaluation. Uh, do you want me to go back to day dot? Um, no, because we uh, haven't got like, you know, a million hours. All oh, right, all right. Give us the short uh, version. <laughs> uh, currently technical and development surveyor for a, a small but growing firm of surveyors. We do value survey only stuff uh, around the country. So at the moment, I'm still on the ladders doing the odd survey, but also training outward surveyors, training them up, auditing, CPD, uh, policies, procedures, and then everything that gets involved with a business that's growing really uh as well as i currently sit on the governing council under the presidential global strategy seat um so i'm i'm up for election again because we we abolished the seat uh under the bishard review and i've i've studied the ladder uh and now i want to climb it a little bit to see how we can benefit for members so that's why i'm sitting for an extra term Multiple. Yeah, and um, I was on Governing Council. Um, yeah. I think I came off just as you came on, I think. Yeah. Uh, within, a bit of, an overlap of a, of a month or two, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so for anybody who has no idea, you need to go and read all about the, the Levitt Report, uh, Bishard Report, <laughs> some of the changes that, are, that have been made, um, and you'll sort of get up to speed. But effectively, there's a, a new world, a new structure happening, and... 
it's taken a little bit of time, I think, to to you know to get sorted and to start moving. Hopefully, this year we'll see more things happen, and we can we can talk about that. Um, but uh, super, thank you for having for coming on. And Richard, yeah, a broadly similar background to Jonathan. I'm a residential surveyor through and through. Um, I'm currently working for a firm that panels out survey and valuate and private valuation work um, all over the country. Uh, like Jonathan, I'm still out on the ladders most days uh, doing surveys because it's, it's simply what I've done for the last 20 odd years and thoroughly enjoy doing it. Um, I started off at the, with this governing council process actually by looking at the diversity and inclusion board when that when that when those jobs became available. Partly because I thought it was really important, um, but also because I wanted to do something with the RCS to help. And when I read the job spec and the person specification, I read that and thought that is not me. And it's too important a job to cock up by just by just putting the application in for the sake of it. So I filed this all in the bin, and then the governing council stuff uh, positions came up and thought, do you know what, this is something I want to do to put back into the RCS. So I've been a member for all you know, the former working life as a surveyor, and having seen the mess that led to Levitt and then the need for the Beachyard review. The Governing Council now has been doing a brilliant job beginning the work to start fixing things and want to be part of that, make, making it better for members. And we know each other because many moons ago, we both worked for the same firm um, countrywide 10, 15 years ago, something like yeah. that might have been. Um, yeah, and we just hang about, see you and I see you, like uh, like we all, <laughs> like we all do. Um and you're right, it's, it's, it's interesting because I was on governing council and I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. <laughs> uh, and that was a a horrible and an amazing life experience at the same time. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you sign up for these effectively volunteer, trustee, committee type roles, um, you know, and then the worst happens um, and you get involved in, in, in those things. And so whilst that was difficult, it was actually, from a career point of view, really, really interesting because I'd never seen you know the um, a global view if you like of the RICS it was always you know just from a very slim uh, slim sector so that was really really enlightening so it must be interesting for you both having seen the fallout if you like on the other side and then coming into it now that you know things are uh, are, are started uh, starting to move um have you had you applied for either of you any other uh, types of roles within our ICS on boards, panels, committees, anything like that. I mean, uh, Richard, you mentioned the DI board, um, but have you ever got involved in any other way? Uh, I was um, many years ago uh, part of the Northwest Committee of the RICS, the, the, the Northwest, it was Northwest Area Board at the time it was called. Um, but that, in effect, met once or twice and did pretty much nothing. Um, so it, at that time, getting the artist to do anything was really hard. And um, in the end, I came off for lack of time. But in all honesty, that, that my short period on that, which was probably six or eight months, was um, a waste of time for everyone concerned, unfortunately. What about you, Jonathan? No, um, I, would, I was rushed into hospital for an operation. <laughs> and oh, there's an excuse. And, and there we go. I'm sympathy, <laughs> sympathy. Uh, so 
And while I was there, I, I'd, I'd been occasionally on LinkedIn and seen the grumbles about the RICS. And so I, I, had a, I was there uh, in a hospital with a fully charged iPad and reading uh, some of the comments that were going on on the the, the posts. And I thought, I'm just going to I'm going to get involved. Um, and one of the, the, the posts came up saying apply for this election. And I thought, I'll do it. Instead of sitting there or typing in a complaint, I'll I'll get involved and see what you it's thought, like on the other you side. Thought, uh, you thought I'm not dead yet. No, might as well. <laughs> I'm gonna get there. <laughs> I'm gonna get there. <laughs> Drive myself into the ground. Um and then it happened. So and you you deal with it. But no, I'm I I'm thankful to the governing council before um that had to go through Levitt, Bichard, COVID. I feel in a way that I'm standing on the shoulder of giants in that way, that the work that you had to do in the situation you had to do is I almost feel like I'm a bit piggybacking on the work that you've done. And part of the, maybe the pressure I put myself under to continue on it is to say that what you did and can't let you down in that way by carrying it forward. So now it's it's rolling it out and making sure that we do, that the boat's been, been steadied is it does it need a, a foot now to to push it forward and carrying it on in the right direction because i need it i think it constantly needs to be be steered to be going in the right direction for an organization of that size but i'd say being on governing council is a little bit like running a marathon for charity um you're you know it, it people are clapping you're on while you're doing it but you might turn a corner and somebody throws a pint of unmentionable at you uh and at the end of it, you're going to be knackered and you're going to have sore feet. And But you're doing it for other people. You're doing it. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of how I put it in my head. I think that's, <laughs> that's a really good good way of looking at it. <laughs> Lots of ways. Um, because it is about the purpose. There's a re- reason that we, we do this. And there's a reason that we become surveyors. You know, on the podcast, we have lots of people talking about about that and it's more than just the technical side of the job and you know the, the geekiness that we that we like there's it's a very human thing and what's what's always sort of quite um interesting and it's the same with any other uh council or or committee role is that sorry got a fly chasing me um is that um you know you're you're a ter- on a term on a board or a committee for a, a term a, a chunk of time and then the next people come in and then the next people come in and that continuity has got to be really clear. You've got to pass the baton on, but you know, it's very, very kind of you to say that we, we did a great, great job. There's a lot of people who think that we didn't, you know, and you have that, you know, up and down, but you've got to be heading in the right direction and constantly reviewing, handing over, listening, listening and getting feedback, but not making those sort of knee jerk reactions. And, governing council and trustee roles are very much about the long game, yeah. whereas the other boards, you can be more um, reactive, proactive to to different things that are, that are happen- happening. Um, as we've, um, you know, we're, we're recording this, uh, there's lots of uh, election seats um, available, but the UK and I, UK and Ireland seats, of which there were eight, went uncontested. Um, can you, for those uh, students and others who don't understand, can one of you explain what that means? Yeah, bro, I'll, I'll, I'll take this for a minute and John can add on. But the under the uh, rules of the election, not enough people, candidates applied for the seats for an election to take place, and therefore 
under the existing rules, the people who did apply were elected unopposed. Um, now, that is simply the RICS following its rules. Now, people have a view that they, or there's been some very strong views expressed about the lack of an election. But it's the process, as far as I can tell, simply worked as it was designed. And that doesn't mean the process was the best it could have been or right, but it, it's what we have, and and, it, and it's worked. And as I believe seven people were appointed, Marion, is that correct? Or do we not know? I, I, I believe one person has stood down. One, one person stood down. Seven, but... Um, but the, um, which, again, was a very principled stand. I understand why the, why that member's taken that decision. I think it's um, because he decided he didn't want to be appointed in that way. Um, and it's just a shame in some respects that one of the things that came out of Bishard was a rebalancing of governing council towards UK and Ireland because there'd been a feeling from the membership for a long time that we had this global agenda and very little UK representation from what was mainly UK-based organisation. And that having put the extra seats on governing council for UK and Ireland, I was quite surprised that they didn't have enough applications to go ahead. And it's just a shame. I'm not sure what we can learn from it. I think perhaps the rules need looking at to see whether, because they clearly haven't worked as the members or some members who are expressing a strong view have liked. And I, I'm yeah, not quite it, sure what the answer yeah, is. Yeah, it's it. an interesting one, isn't it? Before I chip in and give my views. <laughs> Well, what, what, uh, what were you, uh, Jonathan? Any thoughts on on it? And, and actually, you know, I, I know both of you got together and had a chat, and you've put a post out to yeah. say that actually we're going to go ahead and and do go for the residential seat. And I was quite pleased about that. You know, not so much whether you went for it or not, but you you just you talked and agreed actually for the sake of the residential surveyors and the seat that this represents. This is what we think is the best thing to do, and you. You got on with it and made a decision. So I'm um, I'm pleased actually that you did that. Yeah, transparency and communication, which are the main things that is 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 what I want from the RICS is being transparent in in how they do things and communicate. Uh, I think that's what members really want to be told is, uh, can I do this? Uh, and if not, why can't I do it? And and if we if we relay that to members, then I think we, that's part of the battle. Um, so there, there there's one seat for every 10,000 members so um there was was to be the eight eight seats so as richard said a principled uh person that's withdrawn uh it's we're now having to go forward we need watchmen watching the watchmen in that way we need we need some we need a non-executive function and the reason why me and richard we spoke about it we we've got out our joint statement which i think was the right thing to do we wanted to give members a choice. It's it's two people. I would I rather it be five people? Yeah, um, but or ten people even. Um, I think it was right that we gave people an option that they get to choose someone who is in that seat. But as a non-executive function, the governing council has to be there to watch over and to question and to have to ask the difficult questions of why we're doing what we're doing for members. So ultimately, I think that the thing is, it's, it's for members while we're standing. We may be criticised by some for doing what we've done, but I think it's across the board, all of the membership that we need to be representing. Mm. And I guess there's two sides to it, isn't it? There's the, um, you know, as you say, the rules, 
you know, the rules, are they the right rules in place? And everybody knows I've got a thing about the rules that are ICS across the board. Um, but if you don't have a governing council, you don't have an RICS. And, you know, when you start to look at how RICS is set up and it's, you know, the most unusual of organisations as you know, part business, part, part membership, but it has a royal charter with bylaws. It reports to Privy Council. And so it can't be as reactive as it should. And therefore, it needs to plan ahead. It needs to think about it needs to think about you know, um, disaster a uh, recovery plan, if you like, of what if nobody wants to stand for governing council and put that into the uh, into the plan, um, you know. So uh, you know, um, I have no feeling either way over making a stand to to go ahead or not. I think they're both right. It's just a very difficult situation. Um, what I find really really disappointing is out of the eighty thousand people members in the uk only eight could be asked to put themselves forward now both of you have put themselves put yourselves forward for you know what they call the top job whether they <laughs> whether it's that or not i don't i don't know um it ain't that glamorous you know but there will be a lot of people who will be looking to put themselves for these other roles and that's the problem i know quite a few people put themselves for the um, dei role um, and then that seems to have withered and nothing's happened with it. Um, you know, there'll be other roles and that coming forward. And it's always that sort of chicken and egg. What job do you, do you apply for? Bearing in mind, it takes a lot of guts to put yourself forward for something like this, because you've got to go through an election process. So it's partly popularity and, and all of those things as well. Um, but why do you think only eight people put themselves for the UK and Ireland seat? Why do you think not many people, not many really residential surveyors, put themselves forward? Isn't it that? I'm oh, sorry, Richard. After you, I, I, is it that they feel that the RICS is is not quite ready? Uh, that there's quite a bit of hard work to turn before it's attractive. Um, is it that the time commitments quite a lot? Um, if if temp, yeah, you put a poll on uh, Marion, you put a poll on LinkedIn. Uh, I did. I forgot. If ten percent of those people that had voted on that poll had, had stood, yeah, we would have had we would have competition in the in the UK and Ireland. So they've sat for those those seats. We would have had more involvement. So I, I think it's it's transferring that people have opinions. It's transferring it from opinions to action. Uh, and what is it that blocks them from that commitment now? Is it the time commitment that's involved? Uh, is it the putting your head above the parapet that then you're going to get? I don't think it is. You? I don't. I don't think it is. Um, I, so in the poll, um, we had. I mean, you know, this isn't scientific by by any means. Um, we had two hundred and sixty four people vote. Um, Sixty seven percent said no, it shouldn't go ahead. Um, but fifteen percent found a solution, and mostly that was get it sorted then the first job you get get in and the first job you do is sort it out you know and and as, as the action um and then those who said yes 18 percent were um it's got to go ahead you don't have an rics without a governing council but you know this isn't uh stats and science here we did run a similar poll in um in the facebook group and it was about 50 50 roughly whether it whether it should or not so it all, it all depends on who you ask who's going to you know, mono or or not. Um, 
for me, I think the reason it didn't uh, or hasn't gone ahead, or, or rather, people haven't haven't stepped up, and uh, is that why would you? You know, it's not about putting your head above the parapet. It's not about the time commitment because people have done all of that before and we can do some of those hard things. It's the gap between how RICS has engaged with members and not just RICS, but every single board and committee and person all the way down, how they've engaged with members over the last couple of years. And there's been very few visible surveyors, been very little encouragement um, you know, it's like some people have been paralysed waiting for Bishard's report to see what, what's happening. Um, you know, there's been very little human um, encouragement to say, you know, put yourself forward or yes, you can do this and here's the experience. It's been quite flat. And I think it's that coupled then with some of the disappointments that people feel in terms of particularly on the residential side, how we feel about the quality of home surveys, home survey standard governance action being taken. Um, and more and more people have been more personally affected by that as they've seen different different situations. But I think that engagement piece is quite is quite key. I don't know, Richard, have you got any thoughts? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a bit even deeper than that in terms of engagement. Just to draw a parallel, without being party political at all, things are very much like trade unions. My my dad, when he started to work in nineteen fifty nine. Um, joined the union because it was, in those days you had the, the closed shop and for the benefits of younger people who've never heard of it in order to do certain jobs you had to be a member of a particular union otherwise you weren't even allowed in the building and that situation persisted well well through most of his working life even after it had been banned because these things just carried on um and whenever we went to union branch meetings where you had to go and pay your dues you have a line of people men turn all men in those days turn up to pay the pay the pay the dues and disappearing with just a very tiny number of people who are actually interested in the business of the union. And those people tend ended up being I said without being past political, but ended up being hard left activists. So you had a you had a leadership that was completely detached from the membership. And I think pre Levitt, that's pretty much what happens to the RICS. Not not in any political sense, but we're just completely lost touch. So I can see people looking in despair, thinking, "Why do I bother?" Yeah, you know, I'm to work, and that's it. You know, it's the yeah. And bear in mind, Richard. You know, we've all gone through a global pandemic yeah. where life has changed. Um, you know, yes, we've gone through the whole Levitt inquiry and everything, and that's quite emotional for a lot of us. It is hard for us to become our ICS members and and, and chartered. Um, you know, we've got to look at the. You know, we've got Brexit here in the UK. You know, there's a whole landscape that's lying on top of. Um, of all of this but I think you raise an important point that I've heard other surveyors talk about over the years is you've got RICS as a regulator and then you've got the membership side and it's like you know it's like being the boss of a team but I want to be your friend at the same time and it's like you have that push me pull me conflict it's not a conflict you know um, situation and that gets quite confusing over well you know am I your mate we're all in this together but all of a sudden I'm not and you're, <laughs> you're regulating me. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a case that's as far as it has gone, you know, after 154 years or whatever it is now. And, and maybe that's a time for a, for a refresh. Um, we had a couple of questions come up um, in the hub um, um, earlier on. And that was one of them is, you know, how do we 
feel about this sort of regulation part on the member side um and so it'd be interested in your in your thoughts on that you know i mean how how do we engage local members uh, I think with the regional boards, with the new members, they've been repopulated recently. Quite a few of them are growing. They're, they're trying to get more involvement. I think the decentralisation, um, the local boards and local events being able to hold on to more of the income that they generate. Um, locally, people are looking at having local networks. They want networking events and, and local CPD. So I think getting them at the local level, whether... Local boards are appointed, whether that should be another election process, then work your way through that election process that you're elected to a regional board. And then the governing council comes from the regional boards may get more involvement because you get to know who your candidate is. Um, but I think that using using the local CPD and networking events is the way to interface along with the professional group panels that will then feed into that. So uh, residential um, is, 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 is kind of the way that I felt is that I'm, I'm in a boardroom with people who are MDs of companies who are used to their, their week is, is meetings. They're used to that boardroom. I had imposter syndrome going into that. It's I'm used to carrying my ladders around in my damp meter and now I'm there with md of multi-million pound company and we're supposed to be on a comp comparative there in in our discussion and in our argument and our our thoughts so the imposter syndrome was a big thing and is that more ingrained in residential surveying they, they like to get out and about they are quite insular in what they do because we work from home we get in our car we're off to our one two three six houses a day however we do it and then we come back and we work in front of a computer is is that training the skills that are needed to then be non-exec board and ready I, that, yeah that and that's something i know we've talked about uh, uh in the past is yeah. you've got such a diverse range of people who work in the built environment doing all of these different things you know but if you've never sat at a desk and worked all day and done that kind of work and never been out all day they're, they're very different i think there's a huge um neurodiversity difference there too in terms of you know whether you're diagnosed with anything or not just in the way that we approach and the way that we we work um and there's got to be a way to bring to bring people together you talk about the regions and something that comes you know made me think is well i work nationally internationally even from my spare room um regional networks don't necessarily work quite well for me you know, one of the questions we got asked um, was about online networks and, and forums. Um, you know, very flattering that people love or hate the, the Surveyor Hub. Um, but, you know, there used to be LinkedIn groups for, for RICS members. Uh, now we've got, I think, a combination of the Yammer, which I think is being wound down, and the My RICS Communities. Um, perhaps I can ask you, ask you, Richard, are you involved in the my communities? Do you get, you know, in terms of the online world, do you think RSS needs to do something more there? It needs to do something. I, I've been onto my RSS uh, only in the last few days, actually. Uh, firstly, because I didn't even know the thing was there, um, which again is it shows a degree of lack of communication from the RSS. Um, uh, someone points it out to me, so you know, get get on this thing. And 
it's okay. I, I do most of my networking through LinkedIn, um, and it it is quite difficult to have a top down solution to this because we networks form organically. Um, I'm part of a group that uh, via WhatsApp that deals with um, sharing best practice on claims and so on. But that's something that's absolutely under the radar as far as RHS is concerned. And I think there's been a big fear of giving something the official, the official imprints because it might be deemed as official advice and actually just today's talking to one another. Um, and that's where the surveyor hub came from. You know, <laughs> it's not trying to teach you anything. Bad habits, maybe. Not trying to teach you anything, but sometimes it's just nice to have a chat, laugh about something you've seen or done. And it's that human membership side um, you know, we had a, one of our, our most engaged posts at the start was to do with this fat cat that was sat on a on a sofa, you know, and people making, making yeah, people making jokes about it. But you can't see a regulator, a professional membership body doing that, and arguably should uh, should they do that? Is it right for them to, to do that? Clearly, it's not professional, but it doesn't mean it's unprofessional. For me, it comes back to empowering members yeah. and saying members you know, you manage your budget and sort out your regional group, you know, you set up an online forum and manage it because you can, you know, to quote Kevin Costa, you can build it and he will come. Um, build your dreams for those uh, youngsters who have no idea who that is. Um, you know, and you can build all the tech you like, but nobody's going to use it if they don't know where it is and it's not engaging enough. Yeah, and there's got to be a reason and a and a purpose. Jonathan, have you got any thoughts on that? I think a certain amount of it needs to be left to the free market as well. With what with what you've done with the hub is a great um, platform for, especially for students. If yeah. if the RICS were to come along now and say you've you've done a great platform here, we're just going to copy it but put an RICS brand on it, I don't think that would be well received. And I think that um, as students. Would they go onto an official RICS platform and post? I've seen this crack here. I don't know what to make of it. If they were going through their APC, would they be like, "I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm potentially compromising people thinking of my competency well, worry, here"? Yeah, so. Jonathan, they worry about it. Lots of surveyors worry about it in the Surveyor Hub, which is why we have the anonymous function. Yeah, you know, and the admins do a great job of taking some of them off and helping people or signposting that most of the hub don't don't see we do we do an awful lot of that um because we recognize it's uh it's difficult but we're not there to give advice it's information not not advice but we still all need that support and if we're not coming back to the office after a day out of you know inspections and we haven't got to have that chat that's a huge gap and a huge need isn't it that that people need to feel feel connected and rics um are welcome to come and join the hub they 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 never wanted to you know maybe things will will change and on that what i would say for anybody listening and i'll um you can go and search it or i'll put the link in the uh, in the facebook group is rics a couple of weeks ago did have a podcast out the rics podcast if you didn't know they had one um where they talk about the dangers of social media and viewing it from a a business point of view if you work for a corporate but then also as a regulator and what they do and uh, and don't do and it's and they signpost a further guidance there so i would recommend uh, having a look at that it does make it quite difficult because how can we complain about the rics or how can we have those 
com- forthright conversations. You know, people go to where they feel they they can to let off let off steam, and they do it because they're you know they're they're frustrated uh, at the end of the day. Community though, sorry, community though isn't just being in a Facebook group or an online group. You know, community is the podcast. It's social media. It's just your WhatsApp group, Richard. Community is wherever you find it in whatever shape that works for each of us because we're all very different, you know? Yeah, I think where the RICS could use technology better is is in the communication side of it. It it would be great if you could just WhatsApp the RICS saying, I've got a problem with my subs this year. Can somebody contact me? And it was directed that instead of spending absolute hours trying to find out who it is that you speak to and actually get through to them. I think that from the comms, the messaging side of it, that should be an easy an easy way to communicate because that's the main problem that I often, I come up against is is finding out who to speak to. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I'm a member of GC, so you would yeah. think that it would be, I would have to the the, uh, the the name of the person to talk to and it's it's time consuming so i can i can fully appreciate what the average members go through to to get to where they need to yeah. get to um, can i can I ask you both you both work for larger firms um and one of the uh, criticisms probably from me has been in the past that we need to have diverse working groups, committees, boards, you know, all of that. And that's not just in terms of colour and gender. It's that cognitive diversity of of age, you know, from the youngsters coming in, um, newbies, whatever stage, um, people at the other end still feeling useful and, and relevant, uh, but also then size of business, class background, you know, not everybody went to a public school. Some of us, you know, uh, can't afford a property, even though we're working in residential, we're still renting. You know, I think there's a a lot of uh, misconceptions. And so that mix, you know, we all we know that if we get the right mix of people, diverse people around the table, we have the best conversations and the best outcomes and the best decisions um, that last because we've had that debate. Um, If we don't have that, we're less likely to have it. And that, you know, that's that's proven in all the the, uh, different research that's out there. Um, how do we make that happen or and what can you do if because you're both from corporate-ish backgrounds, um, appreciate the, you know, the sizes of your, your companies. We have no idea who the sort of seven or eight other UK and Ireland people are. Um, and I guess that's the hesitation, isn't it, of well, who have we got now? Are they all going to be middle-aged white men who work for corporates? And aren't we just going to a backward step, you know? So, I think through the oh, sorry, Richard. After you, so the the, the the short answer to that is we we don't know who's been appointed yet, and whoever has been appointed, we eyes was will do our utmost to work with them because you can only move forward by collaboration and working together to achieve goals. It's uh, you know the, the old idea of you know going and banging the table is uh, looks great on the films but doesn't work in practice. Um, in terms of corporate background, yes, I I spent more. 13 years at Countrywide, I worked at SDL, which went from a sort of quite small SME to a you know great, a, a very, very big successful firm. Um, not not down to my efforts, down to a lot of, people, <laughs> after you left. Lots, a lot of other people's. And so, yeah, certainly after I left. Um, but now, I mean, the job I'm in now, I'm working with, I mean, almost everyone I work with is is working for one woman or one man 
firm. Um, so I'm very aware of the challenges these people face. And it's uh, and actually, that that's the real backbone of the industry is lots of small firms, whether it's just one man or one woman or you know, two or three person practice. There's loads of them all over the country. And that is the backbone of the industry. And yes, okay, the e-serves and the countrywide and so on are important to us. But they're just a part of a much wider mix. So I think just be aware of the challenges that these firms face that are not the same as the corporate challenges. Mm. Because the whole thing of getting through regulation, regulation approval, getting your PI, getting your VR well, for new every year. It's, it's everything. Tough, isn't it? it's, ev it's everything from, you know, going to paying to go to a conference and you get a discount if you've got three to five tickets, um, you know, rather than working for yourself. It's having a voice. Yeah. You know, having a, you know, a, at one point, I understand there was some kind of SME hub um, at the RICS, but there's, there gone. isn't any yeah. anything like that as far as I can, I can uh, see. And I think from discussions a couple of years ago, I heard that uh, micro, you know, one, man, one person bands or, or small businesses made up something like 60 to 70% of our ICS membership, you know, and so if they don't have that voice, that input or feel supported, you know, then then we haven't got that that around the table. What about you, Jonathan? Any thoughts on what we can do on that front? Yeah, because I think that the professional group panels, uh, I'd like to see one-man bands on that rather than uh, the larger companies. But I think the larger companies have also got to be represented because they, they do bring something to the table as well. They, they probably interface with lenders more than what their SMEs do, and that makes up quite a bit of the, the residential market, the, the lending side of it. Um, policy procedures um how they deal with their audit could could feed in there they 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 do have they're a big beast so they have mechanisms and procedures in place that smes could could benefit from learning from uh in that way but also smes are, are, are at the coal face they are out there doing business development as well as doing surveying so it, no one's putting food on their table apart from themselves so they can learn from the the how they are uh, invented it as well. They can move quicker than what the the corporates can because they're probably it's, looking at share price rather than fee. So it's yeah, it's you know having that agility to react to market conditions. You know, safety changes as and when then thing happens. Um, one thing that does concern me, and I know many of the the survey hub members, is the home survey standard. Um, now today, and again, I'll pop a link in. So there should be a recording available. I attended a home survey standard webinar that RICS ran. It was one hour's free formal CPD. So go and get it. Uh, and they were talking about energy efficiency. Um, and so there's a couple of things. You know, their next review of it is going to be start in 2024, issued probably 2025. So that's five years. Five years since it was first introduced, there was a bit of delay with it coming out um, before the pandemic, but you know that that didn't help. Five years is a long time in terms of energy efficiency, and given that we're in a climate crisis, um, in terms of the working group that was originally on it, that was arguably heavily weighted to one side, um, corporate side. Um, but also for me, that should be a live, um, active, proactive group. You know, we've got the standard out, but how are we testing that that is the right standard? And it comes back to the rules that we talked about before. 
just because we've got the rules, the rules and the standard there, how do we know they're the right rules if we're not tracking complaints and claims and surveyor quality? And just because you haven't got a claim doesn't mean you're any good. That's just luck <laughs> that no one's taking it forward. You know, so um, that then leads into, you know, the, the regulation side of things. Uh, but I know it's something that surveyors really worried about. You know, we've got this standard, they're minimum standards. They could be seen to benefit corporates rather than, than SMEs. I mean, what, what do you want to bring to, given this is a residential seat, um, and this is not the, the um, you know, the uh, knowledge and practice group, there'll be a residential group there uh, set up, but what do you think needs to happen in terms of, uh, of looking at that in terms of the standard? And this is the thing, you know, I'm not saying that anyone's done anything wrong, it's just where it is now, it needs to, to move on, but there's the quality you know, we've got surveyors who are, you know, not qualified or experienced enough doing level threes. Their minimum standards at the end of the day doesn't seem to be any regulatory audit or accountability. You know, just some thoughts on what you're going to do to sort it all out. Let's start with Richard. Um, I think it does start with regulation because at the moment, as you draw out, under the home service standards, if, if your report does not involve evaluation, there's no requirement for an audit facility. Um if I wanted to be a crook, I could go out and do four really bad level twos a day and make an absolute fortune. And the only thing that would catch me is customer complaints. Um, so we've got to start somewhere by making, trying to find a way of making it compulsory to have some of your work audited, however that's done. Even, even if it's a very light touch and swapping it with, with a firm down the road or doing something... And, and it doesn't have there. to be, yeah, it doesn't have to be RICS who does yeah, it. You know, absolutely. there are firms out there that vet reports and, and audit reports, but it puts the onus on that there's at least a standard. So that's a, but, but, but then I guess the home survey standard is going to be something you can measure against. It and it's very, and very confusing. It, it is hard, but you, you can start off with the basic structure of the reports, which is description, condition, advice. You know, does it follow some sort of logical structure that they have a, a reasonable reader can can follow? Or is it just a jumble of standard paragraphs? Because you know, I, I love technology. I've been using surveying technology for for much of my career, and it's used well. It's fantastic. Used badly, I think it's very bad for the customer. And this is the thing that's been getting lost: is the, the public advantage. Because residential surveying is. Um, I had a friend who trans transitioned over from commercial surveying to residential. And he said that residential is the hardest job he has ever done in terms of the thought that goes into into it. It's also a highest duty of care. You know, Mrs. Patel cashing in a pension to buy a bungalow with limited means is probably one of the most vulnerable clients we ever have. And with getting our getting our advice wrong can have massive consequences. And so I think there's got to be some form of audit that really helps people to get the minimum standard. And when I say well, I don't mean, you know, bashing people over the stick saying you've got it wrong again. It's showing people how to get it right is the way around. And that feeds into helping the more junior surveyors who are perhaps out of the depth with the level threes and showing them how what you know what this is what good looks like. I'm not saying hang on, you're useless, you can't do it. It's got to be showing people what what good looks like. And and I think that's got to be passed to be regulated firm. I think that's got to be part of the process. Or at least got to make, make it part of the process. 
And that will also have the benefit, I think, there's been lots of debate about price cutting at the moment and races to the bottom on fees. And in some respects, taking the profit out of doing it really badly is one answer to that. You know, it, the the price um, things uh, is interesting because there will always be somebody who, um, you know, will have the race to the bottom. You, that's economics. You can't, you can't stop yeah. that. There's always somebody out there who will do that. But you can't, at the moment, it's very difficult for a consumer to compare one level two survey with another because it starts with a minimum standard rather than a top standard. Correct. And surveyors are not great at marketing themselves, demonstrating their worth. And I do a lot of client work with clients uh, around that. Um, you know, I appear to be the only visible tick, uh, surveyor on TikTok when given you know, that it's the first-time buyers who are going to get us through the next year and a half. Everybody should be on there, you know, with the inquiries and things I get. And I don't even do surveys anymore. Um, so, so, you know, so I think there's there's that. But there's also the training side. You know, how do we tie in? Because there's very little CPD and training available, you know, for surveyors to get from level two to level three, for example. You know, so you've got the audit and you've got the standard well, you haven't got an audit, you've just got a standard. You've got to be able to measure against it, but there needs to be a facility to train people to get to it so they can afford to go and be as, as competent, you know? Any any thoughts from you, Jonathan? We've got to be proactive rather than reactive because it, it, it's the, the claims come in and then it's uh, it's it's the monitoring that. But then there's, like the VRS, there's there's, there's a cost usually involved into that. So I, I like what you... What you kind of said there is about other people doing it, a bit like you, your building control side of it, you know, have sort of improved inspectors as such. Um, that then creates potentially a, an income stream for some other firms. Uh, I think an interface with uh, a rep from the British insurer, the insurance side, so we can get that data on where the claims are hitting, uh, even if it's just a, a basic, it, there's X amount of these and they're, they're defect related. These are standard uh, reporting standard related. So feeding in from dispute resolution service as well, that we can put that on the board and we can see where the issues are arising rather than waiting for the court case to occur and then reacting. I think we've got to be on the front foot with that. Uh, CPD-wise and training, um, is there anything that really stops you from doing the same CPD every year um, and just the same subjects and just submitting that to get you 20 hours? So there's an audit of that as well. Uh, but whenever you mention audit, you mention monitoring, You it, it incurs a cost somewhere along the line, whether that's already in your you suits or whether... Yeah, but surveyors don't mind paying. They don't mind paying if it they're getting what they need to do work, do their work, run their business, um, you know, and, the, you know, the value for money and that, that progressive learning, they don't un understand it. And unfortunately, coming back to the landscape that we're in, we were in a landscape of everything's been a bit expensive with the RICS over the last few years. It's going to take a little while to get to get back on uh, on track. Um, so I, I, you know, yes, it's expensive, but there's a lot you can get for free. Um but it's got to have that that progression. And most people want to either progress or they want to know that they're doing the job well. And the problem with not having any checks and balances, with not having any data that's made available from all of the brokers, the insurers, 
the third party dispute resolution providers, the corporates who track a lot of the, the, the data, having none of that available, even anonymized, um, means that you don't know what you're getting better at. And I see this, you know, right the way across the, you know, every type of surveyor. This is not, you know, I see good and bad reports of all different shapes and sizes, you know, corporates and SMEs, one-man bands, the, the whole lot. Um, and and there's no feedback loop mechanism to say, you know, so you know, when I when I used to do with claims, it would come in. The first thing they would say is, who did it and what was it? How do we get out of it? You then deal with it. And then there'd be a standard paragraph or a tweak to a form or something to prevent yeah. it happening. So there isn't that across the the, the profession and the, the sector, but also what makes it even more difficult is there's never really one root cause of a complaint. You know, when people get to the point of complaining and it gets that far, they complain about 10 things that happened, including typos and you were 26 minutes late. Um, and that's that whole customer experience part of it. And the the cause of the complaint can be different to what you actually find out and what you what you end up paying out for. And so they're complex things to try and try and explain. But for the last 15, 20 years, you know, the top reasons for complaints or claims will be uh, structural movement because it's expensive, um, dampness, uh, timber, roofs and trees, probably. And they haven't changed in, you know, in, in, in over the number of years. And because we don't know how many complaints surveyors are getting in terms of context, you know, um, is it one or two percent or is it 20 percent of their work? No, we, we just don't know. And I think that insight is going to be important. So because how can you then improve a home survey standard? The, the other side of that, though, is just like the VRS that you mentioned earlier, I think we're almost at the stage now where we need some form of licensing scheme for home surveys. Because interestingly... So if I can, if I can just say for those who don't know, so VRS is the Valuer Registration Scheme. Thank you. And to be a valuer um, and to provide valuation advice in the UK, you have to be part of that. Every In the rest of the world, you you don't. But if you want to do mortgage val, uh, lending, that kind of thing, you have to have that and be registered. It's a separate scheme that runs alongside being a charter surveyor, doesn't it? Or, or member of RICS. But I think we're at the stage where we need something for people doing home surveys now that's similar to VRS. At the moment, as far as I understand the rules, any charter surveyor can can go and do a survey on a house because it's regarded as a simple job. So you can be charged with mineral surveyor or QS and go and do a level three survey. Um, and that doesn't mean that you, you'll do a bad one, but there's no control over who does it. And again, the difficulty, of course, is the minute you start getting a scheme, you, as Jonathan already pointed out, you start having costs again. And we already pay a lot for our membership. So we've got to find can a I, way of doing it. That just following on for that then. Cost. Because I don't, you know, I don't, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. You don't need, first of all, you don't need to be a member of the RICS to do any kind of home survey. There are other Correct. memberships yeah. uh, and things that are available, so you can go out and, and, and do that. Um, are, are either of you familiar with the work of the Home Buying and Selling Group? Yes. Yeah. And so, for again, I'll write that down. I'll put a link to it in the, the group. Um, so that's a, a cross-party group that's been brought together by Kate Faulkner. Um, you know, and she started it. So you've got everything from removal men, lenders, conveyances, estate agents, surveyors, the whole whole bang are, are right the way through. Um, 
with a view to how can we reduce the time it takes to buy and sell a property. On average, I think it's like 22, 24 weeks uh, at the moment uh, here in the UK. Um, and there's a lot of duplication, you know, um, uh, copying of, you know, different ID, for example, you know, to go to solicitors and estate agents and, and everything. Um, and I don't hear a lot of surveying voices in there. I hear, you know, the stage that they're at now is the technology is there, that there is a potential for a mortgage in principle as it's put onto the market. You know, um, with the data that's available that the banks have, Rightmove has, all the others. You know, and so home surveys at some point surely have to, to change. What are your thoughts on some of that, Richard? Well, it's perhaps the old home information pack, which... I still think it was a brilliant idea. Um, it just didn't work at the time because there were nowhere near enough licensed home inspectors. And I think there's a great deal of confidence to be brought to the market in having information up front. Now, the story at the time of the Home Information Pact was that about a third of properties fell through at the time, wasn't it? And that was because of allegedly because of defects. Zumping. Although in practice, as I'm sure it was something else, because people like to blame their change of mind on the surveyor rather than because they just changed their mind. Um, but I think it it would help matters to some degree. Um, the only difficulty is, is is the recency of the report, because if something's been on the market for six months, is it still in the condition in which it was reported? But the, I think there's potentially a lot of value we can add to that process. It just can't be a closed shop for surveyors, because... That, that was the problem at the time the old home information pack was it had to be open up to licensed home inspectors because there was simply weren't enough charter surveyors that wanted to do it. But we can then market ourselves as being the best in the business or having greater experience. Jonathan? Yeah, I'm aware of the own buying and selling uh, group. I've, I've got a meeting with them in a couple of weeks' time um, with the um, sustainability panel where Andy Parkin, who's the MD of Stroma, uh, is involved in that with sort of looking at the surveyors and the energy side of it. Um, I, I think that there needs to be better communication between um, RICS surveying side of it uh, and other organisations such as uh, the Law Society and maybe a paper for Law Society saying what we do as surveyors. So because I, I get a lot of PVQs that come through, which are from solicitor firms asking surveyors to basically comment on things that are outside the scope of their instruction. So these are uh, post-valuation queries. Yeah, 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 sorry. Um, and there's the kind of discussion about an estate agency valuation being a valuation and, and a market appraisal. I think that if the RICS were to say, with, with say property mark is let's let's educate our members on the you you do valuations and an estate agency is a market appraisal and if you feed that into your customers maybe we can get over this this putting together of, of what is is what there and i think that if if we communicate and collaborate with other organizations in that way we can help ease we're all we're all a cog in a bigger machine uh and if that cog connects better with the next cog um yeah does that work better I see where you're coming from, but educating the public and the professional industry is like boiling the ocean and rounding up kittens. And after what? How long is the home survey 
Home Buyers Report been out 30 years, 35 years, something yeah. like that. They still bloody don't know what it's <laughs> what it's called, the difference between a valuation and a survey. Um, well, yeah, you know, people, people, people don't know. And I, I suppose it's the, that gets you so far, but you've got to find a different way of this collaboration, this working together, because, you know, educating estate agents or, or you know, conveyancers or, or whoever, or educating surveyors, you know, it's another thing to do on our list, isn't it? And we probably, you know, we need to find a way to engineer it out through the way that we, by working differently and not sticking to these rules of the way that we do the job. And the technology is there now going forward. Yeah, I mean, with the home buyers, is it got to the point where people were asking me for a home buyers instead of a, a building survey or one of them survey things. Uh, and then we decided to change them to levels one, two, and three. So that it yeah. would kind of so uh, what what will happen to the brand home buyers? I'm I'm not sure whether it will wither and die or and I get um I sometimes hear some of the um newly qualified surveyors say, I'm doing an SCT. I'm like, no, you're not, you're doing a valuation. Yeah. SCT is a surveyor's comparable tool from right move. It's a pro it's a service, it's a product, it's a tool. You do an evaluation on that uh, on that tool. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, we talked about sort of residential. Can I ask you about globally, you know, that I'm really curious about the gap. And one thing that I, when I came on to governing council was mind blown, was the gap between what goes on in the world and what happened and how is that relatable to a surveyor on a wet Tuesday in Margate? And we've talked about regional groups and getting involved and, and those things, but from a residential point of view, you know what? What can we do? What can we learn to bring that bring that together? Because property is property, surely. Yeah, that was one of the things that I I had regarding the residential global strategy seat is is from a, a um, an, a non-exec kind of unremunerated, not a full time role. How are you supposed to connect with what the housing market is in Cape Town, LA, on a global? To that point and i don't think we we're quite insular in how we look at just our market um i, I don't really we we know that there's a different market in scotland uh how they operate we know that the real estate market uh realtors in america operate differently but that's about as far as we really go uh or i do uh in knowing how the rest of the world operate there their residential markets and, and i think i think actually within the uk we are very regional yeah. you know although you know we've got a, a standard and a way of, of doing things you know just as a, a society in the uk we're very we operate differently you know sort of regionally in the way that things are done don't go ask me what a bread roll is or a balm or a bun <laughs> or whatever you know, you get the get all sorts of uh, uh, answers. Uh, what about you, Richard, in terms of this this gap and uh, making it relevant to everybody? Well, I think part of the global reach. Uh, I know the global agenda has come for criticism over the years, but from a purely selfish point of view, if you wanted to go and work overseas, be able to take your qualification with you is and do something is fantastic. So, if the QS is wants to go and build airports in the Middle East or things like that, it's the RCS is a fantastic brand to have behind us. Um, and you've got groups like Tegover over in Europe, which is the European group of valuational uh, um, appraisers or whatever it's called. That's behind the international valuation standards, which is behind the Red Book. So we're almost having 
bits of the Red Book written for us overseas. And if we're not around the table involved in that, um, it's I think the global reach is really important. And the same with the International Property Measurement Standards, which everyone sort of looks at through in the bin. But the whole principle of measuring a flat in London or a flat in Moscow, it should be you're doing the same task, even if your local reporting standards might differ. So the RCS, I think, there's a lot to do worldwide and to learn from other organisations worldwide about what we can do here. I think it's explaining the relevance, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so, you know, when we talk about RICS and, you know, being independently regulated, that matters massively elsewhere in the world. You know, would they want to be involved with an organisation that, you know, the British government of whoever the prime minister is this week, um, you know, we'll, we'll, it will be heavily involved with, you know, we, we, you know, we're part of a bigger world, a bigger economy and and how things work. So on the valuation side, I, I certainly see that. Um, in terms of uh, uh, residential, you know, I, I'm sorry, on the measurement side, yeah, but I, I get that too, the uh, IPMS. But then again, the landscape that we've got is, uh, you know, we talk about feet and inches, and centimetres and metres, depending on uh, pints and litres, depending on what we're drinking, doing, walking, travelling or, or whatever. Um, and it's all of these these differences. And so it makes it very complex to say, get rid of all of that, which is part of your cultural identity to have pints. <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it uh, this way. Um, and so maybe the answer is to embrace what we have and to find, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it, but to try and marry together the learnings that we have elsewhere in the world and the learnings we have regionally in Yorkshire and Cornwall and South London, you know, and what can we do to bring to bring bring that together? And I I don't see that from a UK grassroots, you know, the stories and the things that people are doing. I don't see that happening, but I do see through Modus the odd article telling me about water storage in Bermuda, which is really interesting. Um, but how can we make it relevant, you know, and, and close that gap? What about you, Jonathan? Well, I think the global agenda is something that attracts people into the profession. Uh, talking about Bermuda, I, I've got a friend who used to work in Barnsley, and now he's working in Bermuda. So it, it makes it makes the the profession attractive. You you can do that. You if if he would if if he didn't have his RICS, he wouldn't have got the job. He wouldn't have had that opportunity. So I think that in attracting people into it is quite a, a a big plus um but also then when you've got a global agenda it's you've, you've got a dei issues as well is that what is societal norm in the uk may not be in other other parts of the world so it's okay dictating this is going to be our dei procedures and policies here is is there's a whole mechanism of working out how that works in the other countries around the world so it's not a, a straight tick i don't think but uh I think I think we have to respect region and regions and individual countries, but also there's a thread of equality control that's got to go through it through that global agenda, uh, and the the control mechanisms that come with that. So yeah, brand protection as well. There's got to be a certain standard. We've got to be known as as that standard in within the property industry. So on standards, let me then ask you about the different levels of membership, because uh, levels of me membership does not equate to qualification or competency. 
um you know um you know we might qualify as a as a chartered or a FRICS or, or whatever but that's not the same as the level of experience and qualifications academically that we that we might have um how do we well what are your feelings on that particularly on the residential side and what do you think needs to be done let's start with Richard um there's been a lot of talk over the years since I saw Ricks came in and when was it is it nearly 10 years now Marion it's, get, it's got to be getting on for that, hasn't it? Well, so I know they, it's evolved, doesn't it? Because it used to be yeah. Tech Ricks 20 right. odd years ago, yeah. and it's evolved. Yeah, you were Tech Ricks in mm -hmm. 2006, 2007 yeah. time. So, yeah, after that. It's, it's, it's a membership grade, it's been around for a long time. And my experience having worked with Assault Ricks today has trained a number of them and got a lot through their APC. Is some brilliant people at whatever stage of life they've come to it, because some have come later in life as a career change and some have come from very different backgrounds. It's one of the things that's really driven the diversity in the profession. And one of the first things I ask myself, especially when you get someone sort of fairly green with a you know, just, you know, brand new certificate, is was I any better when I was 28 years old? And the answer is definitely not. So even when you look at the sort of, you know, and I happen to be FRIS, yes, but the, the greenest ASOC Ricks who's got a certificate signed today is at parity with me as a member of the institution. And they can stand in front of me, tell me I'm wrong, and we can talk about it in a professional way because that's that, that's the way it works. But I also think we've got a duty as MRICS and FRICS today is to reach out and hand and help them up in the profession, as it were, and show them what good looks like and say, look, you, know, you can you can do something else. And one of the dangers of our rigs, specifically in residential, is it's become a bit of a cul-de-sac in that within six months or a year of experience, the earning power is roughly at parity with the chartered surveyor. And to get them to the next level, to get chartered and say, sort of get your foot behind and say, come on, you've got to do this. You know, it's it is quite a challenge. And again, holding out holding out some hopes that look, this this getting chartered is worth it. Because to me it's a stepping stone, not destination. Hmm. And the so... only time Almost destination, sorry, Marion, is when I think, you know, for someone who's perhaps got into it at, say, age 60 with the view of getting the last five years of their working life out of it, I can see the point of staying at ASOC. But for everyone else, I think it's got to be a stepping stone to charter you. And it's our duty to help them to it through it, not to so keep I think, them down. So I think there are things have gotten have changed. I think it's gotten very muddied as to, you know, which is on the Antiques Road show, they talk about better, best, and better, best. Better, best, can't remember what it is. Always oh, a little like, test at the end, which is the the you know the stepping stones, um, and that's got quite muddied, I think. And like you say, you know, you can be a or whatever flavour surveyor, and if you think you can get PI and go out and do a a level two on a period property, you can you can go out and do it, and you don't get get sued. And I guess that's where the regulation, the accountability side, will start to start to uh, come in. But also the market's changed. And so, you know, if the market has changed and people aren't paying as much in terms of the worth of the product, you've, either, you've then got to look at, well, how do you charge what you're worth and differentiate, which is what you know, I mentioned before about the whole marketing side? Or do you then start to say, well, actually, there is one level or, or two levels um, and start to look at it because it's got so... It got so muddied, and now you can get, you know, through through to fellowship, um, 
quite easy. I mean, it's not it's not easy to get through, but if you can get people to sign off, you can get through, you know, within a couple of years. Um, and the, the problem is, you know, you've got some of us who've worked down hard for it to get where, and that's where you get these different levels of, of, of upset and, and feeling uh, across it. Jonathan, any thoughts for you on, on that? I think the ASOC was, was good in, in bringing people from different backgrounds through into the into the profession. I think that the skills that they bring as well, sort of the more trade side of it, you were bringing people that estate agency side, which seems to be coming through the ASOC route. Um, there's got to be a definite step up from ASOC to MRICS, um, and that needs to be learned. It is being looked at. Um, but also then you, I can see where the argument, the discussion is regarding parity on earnings and the fees that are paid. So the yeah, ASOC's at 289 and MRICS is at 539. So I can see where the, 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 there's an issue there that the, the earnings, are, the, the ASOC was brought in as a from the tech RICS to be a sort of technical supporting role. And that's not the case in residential. Um, I think that that needs to be a definite step, but also then a look at the fees. I mean, you would think that the RICS would want to get people from the ASOC to the MRICS to pay the increased fee there because there's a, an income uh, potential there. Uh, FRICS, I think that there should be a time-served element in that. I uh, do people see people going from ASOC, MRICS, FRICS as though it's and then you're at the top. But what, what do you do then? Become president. Uh, there's... You're at the top there of your three. Um, so I think that there should be time served as well as the application process. Uh, I think there should also be a, a time served element towards setting up in business. Uh, I think that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being generalised here. There will be people that will go through the ASOC who will have been business management consultants for 20 years and then done that, who will know how to run a business. But the generalisation is, I think, that for risk mitigation is that you say two years uh, from from gaining a qualification to say up in business. I know that with the MRICS, that would make it more attractive because you have to be judged on the day we award you your letters, you could set up in business. So I, I think that there needs to be an element of experience because I think there's a, that Dunning-Kruger effect where I think there's a lot of people that are at that what's crudely known as the mount of stupidity where they think they know more than what they actually do. And if they are then have PI, which allows them to practice, is is there a a tsunami of, of issues awaiting the profession? And is there? And that's because we don't know, because we haven't got claims data to say actually is an ASOC who's just qualified and now working for themselves, you know, the first 12 months, is they more of a risk than somebody you know, further down the line, who's stuck on the ladders, working for a corporate, you know, can't reduce his days because they won't let him, you know, where where is the risk? We we don't know. I, I think I think support is definitely needed uh, uh, across the board. And the route to get, you know, if you haven't got a degree, you know, the, the hoops and things that you have to jump through to get from ASOC to MRICS, to get from level two to three, it doesn't exist. You know, and therefore, if it wants to happen, then RICS needs to help empower and support others for it to happen. You know, and this is where we start to come around in circles over. This feels like a goddamn mess sometimes. <laughs> as to where where we're at, 
Um, it's been really good to talk to talk to you both, and, and and thank you so much for your time. Just to finish off, tell me a bit about tell me something that you'd really like surveyors to know. I would say that the RICS has good people, good members, good members of staff that are wanting to progress the institution in the right direction for the benefit of members. It takes longer than we would all like, but there is a will to, to do that. And I think that with the backing of membership, it can be achieved. We can get it moving from being slow, almost moving from a sumo to a ninja kind of organization. <laughs> we could. Um, there, there's, there's, there's people there that want want it to happen. Let, let's just get involved. This is, the, is what we need yeah. to do. Yeah. What about you, Richard? Um, the biggest lesson I've learned over the last probably, couple of years is to not be afraid of regulation. I think most of us go, we've been through our career thinking, my goodness, what if I get this wrong? What if I get that wrong? Someone's going to tell me off. And the regulation team, um, oddly enough, is that it's never nice when someone tells you you need to change something or do something better, but they're actually there to help us. And the rules, you go through a red book, you look at VPS 3.1 and 3.4, the minimum contents of your terms, minimum contents of reports. It's all laid out for us there. It's a boring document, but Regulation is, is something that, that, that is there to help us stand out as being people we can trust. And it's right back to the public interest argument is that if we get the, if we can do our job in the right way and do, use our skills in the right way, it's fantastic for everyone. Everyone wins. So and no, one, have, does, no a, one does an auditor, but there you are. They have, um, they have a, an audit, a sh professional assurance support team, I think, don't yes, they, they do. that, yeah. that, that, that help people. And yeah, you, you're saying that about auditor. Um, I remember when I got um, promoted, job changed to being an auditor uh, at the corporate I worked at, and we, I went to an event, and uh, I didn't know anyone. It was like a regional event. And I just said, hi, I'm Mary, you know, I'm the new auditor. And literally... They just disappeared. <laughs> I was there by myself. It was like, you know, when you get that uh, washing up liquid and you put it in a bowl and it just goes, yeah. that's what it felt like. But yeah, look, thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, sorry that we couldn't go live into the group. Um, I'll, I'll share this out and I'm sure the hubbers will add some questions. And I know you're in there, so don't be afraid to comment post um, as well. But thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you found that a useful podcast and some insights into Richard and Jonathan's views and a bit more about the, the landscape of residential surveying at the moment. If you have any questions, then please do get in touch and I'll see you next time. Thanks.